0: Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Pull Up Trey. I am Trey. This is what I consider the GOAT, the greatest
1: writer. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Currently in market, Samson Folk. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Glad to see you pulled up, Trey, the namesake <laughs> of the podcast. What happens on this podcast, we talk about the Raptors, the NBA, typically a little bit of baseball. What we get to do to start off this episode, though, is talk like the intersection of MMA, culture, sports, all that kind of stuff. Just since everybody's having fun with the Draymond conversation, we kind of wanted to review the dirtiest plays we could think of in the Raptors' history. And I want to start off with you. Not the dirtiest plays, but I I do want to know what you think about the Draymond situation. It's reached Um, a fever pitch. People care.
0: Yeah. No, I think the, the league got it right. I... I'm assuming the suspension happened because, like, Sabonis actually was hurt. But I thought it should have been a suspension, like, regardless. Like, the common logic that you're seeing, like, from the fans is, like, what was he supposed to do? Like, he was reacting to another person's um, action. But but
1: just because someone does something to you, you can't burn their car down. I saw this, dude. In North York, there was a kid who was they're boxing right like yeah. the one kid the one kid was well i shouldn't say kid young adult they're probably yeah. between like 18 25 they're playing they're hooping the yeah. one guy squares up and the person he's squaring up with is smaller but he he runs off and the other guy kind of chasing him down because he wants to fight the other guy goes to the bag doesn't grab the blicky he grabs the machete he had that he had a machete on him he swung he hit He hit the guy in the head. He didn't chop it, but you could hear like the thud. I guess it's probably a little harsh for people on a basketball podcast. But anyway, he swung a machete at him. And everybody's like, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. You know, you want to square up with somebody. That can always happen. It's like, really? is this are these the laws these are like the not the actual judicial laws but yeah are these the laws we abide by as humans is like don't do anything to anyone because they might hit you with a machete like what is this common knowledge common wisdom and i just i see that's how people justified is like if you do a thing anything can happen afterwards it's like why why (laughs) would that be the logic how is that ever the logic
0: i don't know even in watching the video like You can debate even whether like Sabonis was like actively trying to grab his ankle.
1: I think, okay, I'll say that. I think Sabonis grabbed his ankle. Okay. I still don't think that you like, we've, we've seen ankle grabbers. Pascal, for example, he, in the 2019 Eastern conference semifinals, he, he threw that leg back and Joel Embiid tripped on it. Right. Yeah. It's functionally similar to what Sabonis did then. But, and and also Chris Middleton grabbed Dylan Brooks' leg. We've seen Draymond Green grab legs, ankles in the past. We've seen guys they get frustrated, they grab legs. We have never seen a guy be like it's clobbering time, you know, <laughs> I can stomp a dude out. That to me is crazy.
0: Yeah.
1: But I I, did, I I'm glad it wasn't more than one game, but I would I would have been pretty surprised if he didn't get suspended, I'm going to be honest.
0: No, it it was crazy. I I I do hate that it's taking away from the series. Cause I think like the Kings have been like, especially De'Aaron Fox, he's probably been like the breakout star of these playoffs. And he's like, for me, like watching these playoffs, the big takeaway is like guard play, guard play, guard play. Um, whether that's the skill set itself and having like someone who can um, pull up from mid range, hit pull up threes, um, penetrate and dish to others. Because like you're facing every team you're playing has someone of a, a Good to elite defense, aside for like a couple teams. It looks like that's where the league is going, and the more of those players that you have, especially from a tertiary standpoint, like you're impossible to guard. The Warriors, they look old for the first time. Really, <laughs> <laughs> they can't stay in front of the ball because everybody on the Kings can pass, shoot, drive, which is crazy.
1: Even their young guys, they don't necessarily look old. But Poole, for example, is not the guy you want. Who's not particularly sticky. At the point of attack, like yeah. Malik Monk is fantastic. Goose, if I can find the tweet, I'll throw it up on screen. But he had that tweet where he was like, Darren Fox's game seems like it's made for the playoffs. Yep. And that's that's true. You can go back to when people were complaining about the Fox versus Halliburton thing when they were on the same team and Fox's decision making. I know guys who work in the NBA now who were very much like Halliburton over Fox. And like it's very because Halliburton made better decisions and had like a sexier shot chart and all this kind of stuff. But Fox has exactly like there's that charge conversation that's going on. Do you ban the charge? Do you you know, I I don't find it to be compelling. But regardless, Fox doesn't run into that. Why? Because he's such an immaculate operator in the mid range. He can get there whenever he wants. He can stop and pop if they throw that wall up but he can also blow by if the, if the rotations don't come in time, he is a guy who is made in a lab to kind of just undo these warriors at the point of attack and at the back end. Cause Draymond is so good at, well, he won't be there for game three, but he's so good at doing that one thing, right. It's like sure. rotating to the ball. If they drive, getting a hand on the sweep through contesting at the top, being able to stay with the guy throughout. But it's like Draymond can come meet D'Aaron at 10 feet. And De'Aaron's just gonna hit a push shot. If he yeah. meets him at 14, he's gonna hit a mid range jumper. If he doesn't get there, it's a layup. It's he he's the perfect counter to the lack of point of attack defense from the Warriors and then the timely help side defense from the from the Warriors too. He's man, he's great. No, it's problem. like I said though, if they beat the Warriors, those Bay Area tech journalists are gonna they're gonna dig up the crypto scam that he pulled <laughs> and we're gonna <laughs> We're going to hear about it again. Every, like every two months, I look it up to see if he's given the money back. No. He's just, hey, we're not doing that anymore. You know, the money, poof, it's a wazzy, it's a woozy, where'd it go? All that kind of stuff. But anyway, Raptors, dirty moments. Do you have any that come to mind?
0: The, the first that comes to mind is um, Kyle Lowry to Paul George. Where (laughs) and the funniest part is like how much uh people like were defending the issue. But for anyone who doesn't know, there's a a loose ball. Um, both Paul George and Kyle Lowry are going for the ball. Kyle hooks Paul George's arm and then does a WWE like, like dolphin dive onto his arm, looking like he's trying to break his arm, and then casually gets up. Paul George is furious and he's like, (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. And like I remember that day, like how people like vigorously were defending Kyle and saying it wasn't dirty. Tang- tangles happen. They're both going for the ball. They're fighting hard. It's very similar to the Draymond issue. Like, oh, I'm like this is a part of the game. This is what was he supposed to do? He's going, trying to get the ball. It was hilarious.
1: I think if you ask Kyle, I, you're not going to get the opportunity to now. But and most of the answers you'll probably get is like, I was trying to win. I did all the things I could to win as an undersized guard in the NBA. And it's true he did. And I know you're I'm not talking Kyle Lowry with you. I know I know better than that. But he's gonna he's gonna make the Hall of Fame. He has a legacy. But if you give him the truth serum and ask him like, Kyle, you were on some bullshit sometimes. Like, do you agree? He'd be like, Oh yeah, I was that dude. He um he's definitely been like he just his his presence, the Mountain Valley West you know, conference, like the grinder guard who yeah. plays all four years. He's like Aaron Craft with skill and athleticism and all this kind of stuff. It's, and he took it to the NBA, man. He's, do, do you have any others? Are they all Kyle Lowry? <laughs> <laughs> all of them are Kyle um,
0: I don't know if the bubble plays dirty. Per- yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. Well, to Aaron Gordon. Hmm. That's like borderline. That's like the next one that comes to mind. But well, I just like remember like the quote where he told him to meet him at his his room. Like that day for sure, I was like, this guy's leading us to another title. <laughs> 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 that, that,
1: um, that I felt like was kind of like a boys will be boys thing. Yeah. The, the Paul George one though, I was like, Kyle, what are you doing, dog? <laughs> that one that one blew my mind.
0: Oh, because like in, in the the replay, like he fully has his arm like this. He's outside and then he does,
1: <laughs> which is crazy. It's like there's that family guy meme where the, like they fall and their arm goes behind their back and like the leg is broken. It's like that's the classic you've been hurt bad. And yeah. it feels like if Kyle got exactly like the worst outcome in that situation, that's exactly the position that Paul George would have been in, you know? oh it was nuts what comes um, to mind for you i like i can mostly i was trying to think of like what's happened recently unfortunately these these ones are not so bad but they definitely are on the side of like okay that's happened a couple times like pascal the one i do like it's always interesting when you think about pascal like when he got al horford in the nuts is that pascal wasn't going to get him in the nuts right but horford fouled him it removed pascal's path like his arm path from getting back to the ball because he was sweeping through yeah and then pascal i think realized like well my hand is going in between his legs here and i wonder if there was he was like i'm going for it you know i'm gonna like i'm gathering back to the basketball not the balls you yeah. know i'm gathering back to the basketball and i'm gonna try and get my hands on it or if it was all accidental i feel like he got fouled and if he didn't get fouled that wouldn't happen but i also feel like he he applied some pressure you yeah. know what i mean
0: Uh if you listen to philly fans you would say like what basco did in the playoffs was <laughs> dirty. he he cracked Joel in the face
1: oh that one no that one i yeah. disagree like wholeheartedly like it's that is an that is i think pascal was correctly called for an offensive foul yeah because you extend the elbows and like you're you're clearing space a lot of players do it very rarely does it end up with the broken occipital bone or whatever it was um but i don't think he meant to do that i think he was like clearing space and i would think that was a um a hazardous play like a careless type of like play which Joel Embiid has been on the other side of a few of those, like carelessly kind of throwing his body around, creating even, well, I guess even earlier in the series with Scottie's um, sprained ankle. But uh, either way, Pascal, he ended up elbowing in the face. I think that was just like careless rather than dirty. And then careless and dirty was Pascal's when he hooked Joel way back in 2019. But there was no bad outcomes for that one. Like that one, Joel had like started the process of going to run. He wasn't like Scooby doing where he's like, the legs are going, I'm ready to go or anything like that. Yeah. But what did happen was Joel just kind of like cleared the kinetic energy, spaced himself out and went to the floor and then the foul was called and that was it. But which is what Dylan Brooks did when Chris Middleton grabbed his ankle yeah. and uh, Chris Middleton got a flagrant one for that. I think yes, if I remember correctly sure. either way. Um, the dream stuff is pretty funny, but that series, it kicks ass. It's super good. If you want to improve your relationship to cars and the people that put you in them, the sponsor of this podcast, Queensway Automotive Group, QAG. They have a bunch of locations all over the GTA. They can move cars around to suit where you need to pick them up. They can get you into a lease. They can get you out of a lease. If you need help fixing your car, they can help you. If you need help, Figuring out like quotes, if you're shopping around looking for good deals on cars, they can help you with that. And as far as just like purchasing pre-owned, new, used, all this kind of stuff, they have you set up and they are the sponsor of this podcast. We do appreciate them for doing so. If you want to help out the podcast, if you want to help, help out QAG and you want to be looked after for all your car needs, there's a link in the bio. You can click that. It'll sort you out. And once again, it does help the podcast and the sponsor. Thank you, QAG. Okay, so, Scotty Barnes, the guy we brought up who had his ankle sprained in the playoffs last season, the guy who won't be in the playoffs this season, Scotty Barnes. Now, you're a Jamaican man. You know that Scotty has Jamaican history. He has Jamaican lineage. This was something that you found out, was it the night of the draft? And you're like, let's go. He's going to be a star.
0: Uh, I'm... Proud enough to admit that I was on the wrong side of history of who I wanted to who <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted the Raptors to pick. I was I was at the Raptors Republic uh, draft party. Scotty. Oh! 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 We know Pig Jalen sucks, and I'm like looking at Lake Ontario <laughs> <laughs> in the question. And then it might have been Grange actually, like, oh, Scotty's looking forward to being in Toronto because he's from he has jamaican heritage and immediately i'm like all right this gets a start <laughs> <I'm back. laughs>
1: so that's stardom let's check in on it where are you Ari scotty's sophomore season wherein i think the the conversation for the first couple months you know october the end of october november december was uh the nihao stuff ben simmons the second He's not in the gym. He's not working. He's, you know, everybody has him figured out. Adam, my colleague, my my guy is asking other star players, what do you make of Scotty's struggles yeah. this season? All the other star players are saying, this is what happens. It's going to be fine. And it was. But yeah. your thoughts on the season?
0: Yeah, they're like first two months like there was uh, the big overlap. The big gap was like, oh, this is this is Michael Carter Williams, take one out, rookie of the year season. Which I never thought. For me, I feel the exact same how I felt going into the season. I would say after the, I would probably lower on consensus of like pathway to stardom than probably probably uh, most Raptors fans were like heading into the rookie year, just simply because like the ways that he wins and and scores aren't in the traditional sense, I and mean, we're going to probably have to. If he's going to be that primary player, a team with with plus plus like drive, kick, shoot ability to, to go around him, which is very hard to do. You're kind of seeing that with the Kings with Sabonis. But there's the Kings are a one of one team kind of right now, in terms of the level of creation that they have around that like central post player. But with, with Scotty heading into the year, like what I was looking to see was more so improved defense and not like <laughs> heading into the year. Heading into the second half of the, his rookie season, you saw those improvements and that he's going to be a plus defender. But it looked like the Raptors made a decision that he's going to be our main point of attack defender. And that was a terrible idea. He, he, he significantly struggled at that spot. And they kind of pulled away from that throughout the season. And you saw, like, positive returns. He's really he's a really good low man. He has really good instinct and still can blow up a lot of actions, which I think is his future and in terms of improvements like he's improved a lot as a passer especially in his decision making which is super valuable for a team that struggles with spacing he's able to get people in spots and able to um use his eyes to get defenders out of the way and create like small slivers of space which is high high level stuff like so overall for like for me i do think eventually he's going to be a league average catch and shoot shooter, which should be enough for him because he he can strength create with the best of them once he gets in the lane. I would give it a B if I were to grade it. I still feel like there's a pathway to being an all-star, being an all NBA player. It's just gonna take time.
1: Definitely you bring up probably the most important aspect is that and this is something I talked about quite a bit prior to the season. Everybody he won rookie of the year. He scored the ball way better than people thought, but points per game didn't really tell you know how he was scoring the ball like it was bully drives it was offensive rebounds it was transition finishes and on on occasion a cut something like that and and there was really creative finishes from him but the way he succeeded was like one of one it wasn't something and it also wasn't something that the raptors can build out an offense from it's kind of like the 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 returns they were getting from the Pascal-led offense immediately stopped becoming good once guys stopped shooting the ball well. Because Pascal's first however many games with the team, the catch-and-shoot stuff was working pretty good. Teams were doubling. They were abusing mismatches, working the ball around from there. But if the team isn't going to shoot well, just putting Pascal on a mismatch and letting teams overload isn't going to create enough movement, isn't going to create enough opportunities And Scotty Barnes is basically like, that's how he dominates as well. It isn't in typical like pick and roll. That's what we think of stars, right? Or Mm -hmm. if it comes to a big man, it's being like having guys cut off of you and having guys, you know, succeeding. You you brought up Sabonis, for example. And Scotty didn't do either of those things. He was like succeeding wonderfully well at all the in-between stuff. And the in-between stuff, Is the in between stuff for a reason? It doesn't mean it's not underrated. It is. But it also means that you can't really scale it up as high as you want. What Scotty needs to be able to do is have some semblance of a pull up jumper. He has to be really great with his handle so that he can take on all these different coverages that we see stars are treated with in the playoffs. Like you're going to see four or five different defensive coverages. And like even Caitlin Cooper just wrote, she wrote about this season, like the the switch to peel and like how effective that is. at kind of stopping stars from getting downhill and then also keeping bigs away from getting the dump off pass. It's like there's a lot of different stuff. And if you have a really tight dribble and you can hit pull up jumpers, then you can kind of navigate that. Scotty isn't close to either of those things. The other thing they brought up, though, something that I wrote about very in depth was his passing. And I think his commentary around scoring and passing is the exact same. When you ask Scotty, he makes everything sound like it's the easiest thing in the world. And he just says, I'm just playing basketball. This is just what I do. And when it's scoring, I think he's being dishonest because we see him struggle. Yeah. When it's passing, I think he is being honest. He's just like, I'm just making the plays that are out there. And you want to be like an idiot reporter like me and be like, but hey, do you guys don't make plays like you? You know, like maybe it seems easy to you. Maybe you can walk me through it. But like, how the hell are you processing the floor? this fast. How are you how how are you putting the ball like that precisely into a guy's shooting pocket or leading them into a lane to the rim and that kind of stuff it just seems like it's innate for him. And that's the that's the special thing is that Scotty is innately yeah. one of the be- most talented passers in the NBA. It should be, I think it behooves the Raptors that whatever it looks like the next few years figuring out how to make Scotty's passing the hub of the raptors offense that's what you try to do and and i think that's built around how he works on his own skill progression it also works on the guys you put around him and you have to find like that harmonious mix it it might be difficult if he doesn't and if he doesn't progress as a scorer then it's probably not tenable but you have to you have to make that bet that he will you know
0: yeah I I agree. Like his passing is probably the one thing where you say like this is the the traditional star quality where you can say if we put like subsequent shooting around him and and hope that he will create enough he'll he'll develop enough where he's a true threat going downhill using his size using his strength being able to finish over over length whereas um, the shooting issues might not matter enough or might might not matter at all because you're he's so big that you have to overload you have to crash on him and he can find anyone on the on the court so i think that's like one of the overlaying um, things with the team and probably like akina mentioned this on the the last podcast that while like there's um you can keep pascal and scotty on the same team as pascal ages out because scotty can take over some of those some of those possessions that pascal would currently
1: yeah So that kind of brings us into I want to talk about our three favorite games from this season. And the first I'll list is the it was a loss, but it was the first game where we really, really saw not only the Raptors using Scotty more as a screener and more as a hub in that in-between role when teams were sagging. But the Pacers with Turner, because they really wanted to have Turner as that helper. They were the first team that just kind of like sent him way back into the paint and like the Ben Simmons defense you guys have seen elsewhere, we're going to try and do that on Scotty Barnes. And Scotty started out kind of slow. He was trying to understand how the game was being played against him. And I think it took him like four minutes of gameplay to figure out exactly how he wanted to undo the defense that was put out in front of him. And I think he did like a really fantastic job of taking that. that ultimately, they did lose, but I didn't think that was on Scotty at all. He took a defense in front of him, open space, which is hard to navigate in the NBA if there's a guy at the rim and you don't want to... Well, hey, people listening to this now, you listening to this, Trey, everybody has played some level of pickup basketball for the most part. You know what it looks like when there's a team that doesn't shoot well and the other team sags. The absolute awkwardness of trying to orchestrate an offensive possession. You have to be really clever. It's why... The group of, like, between, I don't know, 38 and, like, 52-year-olds in the lower levels of men's league typically do pretty good. You know why? Because they're not afraid to shoot mid-range jumpers. They set screens for each other, and they move in unison. And it's, like, because they know how they want to attack it together. Scotty started coordinating the Raptors' offense from within, and it started with that game. And it gave us probably, you know, outside of the – the six game series against the 76ers, the most interesting stretch of his career so far. And it started with that game. So that was uh, my number one. Uh, what, what, what game do you have?
0: Um, my number one would be the first Cavs game that we played. Cause like, that was like the epitome of like what the Raptors were trying to do. It really was. <laughs> it looked beautiful. Whereas you're facing this team with these dynamic guards, you're blowing up all of their actions with your size, your length, creating turnovers. Everybody's running, and you're scoring, and you're you're taking out a all NBA player. He's probably gonna make first team actually. Uh, all Donovan? all NBA guard, and making him significantly struggle and get out of his games. And get out of his game.
1: I was told that he and Gary are not so different.
0: <laughs> I was told. I was I was told as well. <laughs> but heading into heading leaving that game, you you sort of look like this is what they're going to do. We're gonna carry over what they did in the second half of the season, that like this is gonna be like a fifty win team, because we're playing a style that nobody wants to deal with or doesn't have like the requisite um passing ability to um dissuade us from being as aggressive, which might not have been true, but at the time it it felt like the Raptors had something cooking
1: it really it did work and that was actually that was one of my three favorites was not only because from the raptors point of view they achieved the defensive outcomes that they wanted i had like goose and t had talked about like they really harped on um the fact that og was a a wrinkle for the raptors against the Cavs. that was true og i think had 20 points he had like five assists he was making the He was like attacking closeouts. He was making the lay down to the big and he was able to bridge the gap defensively. He, Precious, Scotty and Pascal between navigating like Mobley and Allen on the defensive side of the floor, like trying to keep those guys off the boards, trying to keep those guys from finishing everything at the rim. It's a Herculean effort. For the opening night of the season, the Raptors achieved that. And then everything you said, especially about like blowing up the actions on ball, but also personally, That was my first home opener I ever got to work. It was like, it was super cool. It was awesome to be there doing that. I'd worked games before, but this was like, I'm there for, I was at preseason games, but I was like, I'm there for the season. This is a cool thing. And to have the Raptors perform that well on offense, it wasn't perfect. On defense, it was really good. I was like, this is the formula. And then that formula it was rotten milk dude that's uh (laughs) that's where it ended up yeah um so my third favorite game pascal siakam the garden i just i got to watch that one with my brother that was just a great week of like sports because i went home to saskatoon to surprise my family for christmas we played basketball all of us the night before i left which was fun as hell and i went home And I surprised my grandma and she was like so happy and everything. But then we sat down and we watched the FIFA World Cup final, which was an incredible game. And then a couple days later, maybe even like one or two, Pascal goes for 52 in the garden. I watched that with my brother. I was just in awe. I was like, do we have it? The superstar is 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 that him? And I was like, I think we do. Like I and he was just in such a zone. And then after that, like, you saw some of the effort on defense tail off. You saw less ability to blow by dudes. You saw, like, more reliance on the jump shot as it looked like he was – that cumulative load had caught up to him. Nobody knew that was coming. He just gave the guard a 52. It was the first 50-point game in years there. Like, Harden in 2018 or 19, something like that, was the last guy to do it. And Siakam, while it became over that stretch of, like, two or three weeks – suddenly everybody had 50 points. Like something <laughs> happened in the NBA. That's when everybody went nuts. Yeah. But at, at the point in time that Pascal did it, it was like, oh, he's the third or fourth guy to do it this year. We're like three months into the season. This is incredible. And then as, as the same case with the Cavs game, everything started going downhill. And we had that, that meme of OG like throwing the water bottle at him repeatedly. Just bam, bam, bam. <laughs> It was good times, man. And I thought that was the game that would turn the Raptors season around because they'd been struggling. They lost those two to Orlando. Yeah. You know, it's I thought they were turning it around then.
0: No. That, yeah. that was <laughs> no that was like not like in retrospect. But like that um that whole like Pascal stretch at the beginning of the season, you and I believe we said it on the podcast, you looked at like this is the championship hub that everybody has been asking for. He's able to slip and get into the rim with the best of them. And he's his his mid-range jumper has gotten to a point where you can't just overload the defense and and hope that he's not going, going to score. He's figured out like counters to everything the defense is going to actually offer you. And Gary, Fred, who Fred, OG, Toleski wasn't shooting as well, also are good enough where they're going to punish people when they overload as well. So like it looked like things were gonna turn around like the Raptors are have like their guy, which I still think they do, to be honest. Like he is a part of that nucleus whenever they turn this ship around. But um I would I would say it's just like that game is like a microcosm of um what we want to see moving forward is having shooting around Pascal and allowing him to um, – shoot, having shooting around Pascal, probably a more conservative defense, and allowing him to be meticulous and knife through offenses in the same way.
1: The thing is, though, you probably don't get both of those things together. The way that the team is currently constructed, you don't get the shooting and the conservative defense. For example, because Scotty is there. Scotty's the future. Yeah. Nobody's moving off of Scottie. Kevin Durant was in the ether And that wouldn't move the Raptors off of Scottie. Guess what? Nobody. Short short of the Thunder being like, hey, actually, we think Scottie and Giddy is better than Shea and Giddy. You want to do that? The Raptors are like, yes, 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 please, yes. But the Raptors, they're going to have Scottie. If they want to play the conservative defense, they're going to have Pirtle there. They're going to re-sign him. If they want to have shooters. They're going to have Scotty, Pascal, and Jakob on the floor. I'm just like, how do they achieve this? Because Fred, I think, will have a better shooting year next year than he did this year. I I think he really will. I think OG is a good shooter, but it's like, there's just not a lot going on on the floor. Like, Pascal, to make this team work, and maybe it's not fair to him, he has to shoot the ball pretty well. Like, on three-point shots. Like, we see so many of these possessions come out to him He and Scotty, more than anybody else, I think, where the ball rests in their hands above the break, and you're like, this is where if it was Gary, OG, or Fred, you feel really good about the possession ending there. And you're like, if it goes in, if it misses, it misses, but that's the shot.
0: Exactly.
1: It, It rests in Pascal's hands or Scotty's hands. Sometimes they shoot it at a poor percentage. Sometimes they try and create a little bit more. And it's like you always feel like they're leaving something on the bone by not taking that shot in the possession. And Pascal, he hasn't been prioritized in play style once during his Raptors career. And and some people say that he doesn't have to be. He's not good enough to be. I don't. I'm not here to litigate that. He's been paid as much as they could possibly pay him. They've had him on the roster. He's he gets a lot of possessions. It's maybe not exactly fair because it's not like, you know, really attuning to his skills, but he has to shoot the ball better. If he wants if he wants this team to be as good as possible, he has to be a guy who catch and shoot threes. They got to go north of like 37, between 37, 40%. You got to hit above the break too. And like, that's hard. Yeah. It's really difficult.
0: Like, I think a more realistic path is like, Julius Randle still never became a great shooter, but he takes enough of them where the defense <laughs> to consider guarding him. I think he shot around 34%, but he took eight threes a game, which is You want to know something
1: funny? Fred and Julius Randle shot the same percentage, <laughs> the same percentage on catch and shoot threes this year. Oh, Fred yeah. usually shoots around the Buddy Heald level. Last year, for example, he was 43%. Buddy Heald was 42% this year. This year, Randall and Fred shot that same percentage. That's tough, man. Yeah, that, that's it's difficult. Oh, it's difficult God. to navigate. That's that's. I wrote I wrote that piece about Fred shooting, kind of being the metaphorical or the allegorical equal to like the Raptors' season. It's just like it was good for stretches, <laughs> and then what the hell? Because everyone was like, "Hey, this is good. This is a known quantity." Both with Fred's jumper and the Raptors. And then both of those things were like,
0: what if we weren't? You know, it's... Uh, it's tough. Okay. I think I have two more games left. So I'll do these I'll do this quickly. Um, number two for me would be um, Raptors Caribbean Night. One, because I'm Caribbean. And um, two, it, it was like a beacon of hope post-deadline. The, you guys know my smile was gone after the deadline. <laughs> <laughs> but... The Raptors showed in that game, like, like what the vision even heading into next season. To be honest, of like what this team could actually look like, Um, much better defense. Um, Jakob actually providing um, someone who can be an effective roller and be a screen and open up Fred. He had probably his best game of the season that this year with us. I think at twenty-one and eighteen, and he he looked like somebody who is going to be able to. allow us to play the scheme that everybody has been hoping for a more conservative way to allow Pascal Fred to have less miles traveled, stop being in the top five of this list. And from that point on, it looked like they're catching the Hawks. They're, they're going to be seven, eight seed, and they're going to give Boston and Milwaukee a very tough time. And they're going to be a tough out.
1: Didn't happen. No, I have a question for you. Good. I've always said Caribbean always. Caribbean, Caribbean. Please, what, like, what is what is the difference there? It's 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 like
0: when like Caribbean is like when someone says schedule. Like, yes, you can say it like that, but like <laughs>
1: you're a loser. You do <laughs> okay. Yeah. I understood yeah. that. Um, understood. I think I looked it up one time, and it was like American versus like the UK. Yeah. I, I wasn't exactly sure. But I mostly, of course, you always want to know, like, like it's not Pakistan, it's Pakistan, you know. Yeah. Like you want, you want to say it how the people from there say it. So yeah, yeah. I was relieved to hear you call it Caribbean night like, because I was like, I say Caribbean. So no.
0: And then um, the the last game would be uh, against the Heat. Precious's twenty rebound game,
1: which is and like- where where Nick was <laughs> like, if you do this every game, I'll find you fifteen. I'll minutes. Give you some minutes. <laughs>
0: yeah. It. it I still think I still believe this, but it looked like this is how pressure is going to be viable against um, really good teams that we cannot score on. He's going to be able to bludgeon people um, as a rebounder, create extra looks, help us win those possession battles by simply just being the most athletic player on the court and being able to, although he can't shoot, still being athletic enough to blow by um, closeouts, sagging off or not, and getting to the rim and still scoring like. With Jakob, that probably there is, like, some tension in between Precious is, like, um, how tenable he is on the team currently. But um, as an overall player, I still think that he has he ha- has ability to be a playoff, or like, rotation guy. Whether that's a four or a backup five, he's going to be, like, a, a central cog into the Raptors, like, heading into the future.
1: I still think there's all star potential there. Ooh. I I do. I Ooh. just some guys put it together late. Yeah. But as far as tools, looking at the things that Precious can do, the spurts, yeah. There's no guarantee, obviously, that all the spurts come together. Many for Scotty, for example, his fourth quarter, he set the record for most points scored in a fourth quarter over the course of a Raptors season. Like nobody scored more fourth quarter points in a season than Scotty for the Raptors. And everybody, a lot of people's response is like, where's that the other three quarters? And of course, we've talked about this before. It's like finding pockets of the game to dominate. But it, I feel the same way about, you know, Scotty's fourth quarter scoring as I do about Precious's huge runs of rebounding and defense and like a little bit of off off the bounce creation. It's like, man, I wonder if he can put this together. You know, he has like instead of one or two runs a game or in in Precious's case, sometimes zero. I wonder if he can have like three or four, you know, during between 28 and 34 minutes. And then eventually, you know, maybe 27, 28, some years down the line. Is this just like a guy who does this? And Precious flashes more things than most big men in the NBA. Of course, he he gives you stretches that a lot of those same big men. Just wouldn't have as far as like the lack of effectiveness and some of the decision making faux pas. But uh, yeah, I'm. I I wouldn't like bet on the all star come, yeah. but I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. He still intrigues me to no end. Yeah, um, I agree
0: yeah. with that. I, I I don't know. I don't think all star, but I think he could be a he could be a plus like starting four in the league.
1: Oh, here's the, here's my question. Right. You don't, you don't think he'll be named an All-Star, but you think he could give you like equivalent impact to other All-Stars?
0: Oh, I, I believe that. I, yeah. I think he could be first team all defense and like contending for the defensive player of the year. Like there's a scenario where his catch and shoot shooting become tenable and who knows what changes they make in the summer. Say he's our starting four next to Jakob and they're the best defense in the NBA. I don't think that's like crazy. Either. That isn't like... Out of the realm of
1: what could happen. Like down the line, right? Down the line, yeah. Yeah. I do wonder this, this offseason, this isn't Trey and I aren't talking about this, listener viewer, really this episode, because we have many episodes to come and the Raptors have to we gotta see Masai talk, man. He he hasn't said a thing. We we gotta hear some stuff about direction, expectations, all this kind of stuff. And I gotta tell you, I was at the you know, people listened to the last episode. I was at the exit interviews. It was fluff, like a lot of fluff. And even though Masai is going to no doubt give some fluff, sometimes he gives like the hard truths. And so we'll, we'll talk more about that as the season comes on or the offseason continues to go on. But also, Trey and I, what used to happen in the past was that I would talk specifically to scouts and it would be Samson plus scout. We're talking about a guy I'm learning. Having Trey here for a lot of those conversations, not every single one, is going to add like a whole other dynamic because Trey watches way more college basketball than I do. So that's that's a lot of the coverage that will be coming up. And then when we can talk about, you know, what the hell is going to happen in the offseason. Obviously, we relish that opportunity to, you know, hypothesize and do like the fan thing. But before we get out of here, Trey, the Blue Jays, they're going to play in about an hour. They're 11 and seven. Do you have any? Do you have any favorite things happening with them currently, and something that worries you perhaps? Um,
0: I'll start with I'll start with
1: the I'll start with the bad. I like the
0: pitching is very is still very shaky. <laughs> it's very very shaky. Just um, we, as everyone knows, we currently have a, a bet going on with Manoa and and Justin, and it doesn't look it doesn't look good for me. Manoa is like really really struggled with location and. There isn't much movement on his fastball currently. And Deosa, you, know,
1: yeah. you know what it is? The slider. We talked about the like the stuff plus yeah. the metric. It went from being like an above average pitch to an average pitch to now like it's currently way below average. Yeah. He's not he's throwing it still fairly often, but he's not getting any whiffs. Yeah. So if he throws that pitch, it's either a ball or guys are typically fouling it or hitting it hard. And that pitch, I remember, like, when he came up against the Yankees and he would, like, throw a slider against a left-handed batter and they would swing at a pitch that ended up hitting them. I was like, man, this is nasty. But it's lost some bite. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: It, it's been tough. Like, um, I would say Gaussman and Bassett, even though he had that one game where he didn't understand what was going on, have, like, lived up to lived up to expectations. Although Kikuchi and Barrios have had decent starts of late, it's they're still so volatile. Where like if we're hit, we're in a series tomorrow, you would be like, we only have really three pitchers that I'm confident in playing currently. But so that's the bet.
1: I also I have another pitching bet. Blake and I we both yeah. use beard oil. I I think made a mistake. I believed the Blue Jays as they said that um, Barrios was going to figure everything out. And he was really good against Tampa He's about to pitch. We're going to get some feedback, you know, tonight. But seeing Barrios, he has an 8 ERA right now. Blake and I made a bet. Whoever was closer. I said I expected 3.75 on the season. Blake said 4.25. I think I'm going to have to buy him a little bottle of beard oil. But, yeah, the starting pitching, I think, has been a concern, Mm -hmm. although you can probably expect Manoa to find better footing. I think that Barrios and Bassett and Kikuchi all having decent starts now, kind of in a row with each other, especially if Barrios pitches well against the Astros tonight. And then Gossman, I think you can expect, like that Astros performance is just way out of left field. He gets back to it. The thing that is a little bit concerning, though, is that Varsho – And the six through eight, I like Varsho still like the defense is really great, but Varsho hitting cleanup and batting like 200 with runners in scoring position and like not being able to drive guys in when like Vladdy is getting on base 44% of the time. Bo is getting on base 40% of the time, like whether it's, if it's Springer, it's only 29% of the time. If it's maybe if Chapman is ahead of Varsho, it's 47%. He's seeing a lot of base runners ahead of him, like a lot. And hasn't been able to hit him home. And there hasn't been a lot of pop in the bat. That's something to watch out for. And then, yeah, like the the second base rotation. I hope it ends up being Espinal. Because I like him a lot. But, yeah, the back end of the the lineup has been, outside of Kiermaier, pretty underwhelming.
0: Yeah, no, it's tough. And even like uh, the game Chapman sat out, it totally decimated the lineup. It was a winnable game. And now you're, with all these runners in scoring position, you have... Wit Merrifield trying to to bat every everyone home, so like that's something to watch out for if we face some injury issues. But on the positive, I would say the Blue Jays probably, if not the the best, they have a top three defensive outfield in the league. They've saved a million runs. They've gotten to a point where it's a strength of the the team, whereas last year was a, a major weakness. There was uh, a fly ball that wasn't. Uh, a direct pop up. We weren't getting the outs majority of the time, whereas now they're saving runs, and I I believe they're top three and save runs um, in their outfield, which is which is really good good to see. Um, and initially, when the trade happened with Marshall, I was like, oh, we gave up like one of the best prospects in baseball. He doesn't really hit that well, I, regardless of the. Him being able to cash in runs, I would still say currently it's like a net positive trade, and he's he's helped the helped the team dramatically. So overall, I think we're the best team in the AL East. I think they're gonna win a division.
1: I man, I hope so too. The the cool thing about baseball is you just get like all the stats. Yep. And especially since it's you know you have these isolated situations, it's obviously you can't do it. Just you and I looking at the game, being like. Oh, I think, you know, it was a, however, the, the ball came off the bat at this angle at this miles per hour. It's like, you can't do that. But if they have the cameras that can capture that kind of stuff, you can see from how it comes off the bat, mostly where a ball is going to end up. You can juxtapose that where a player is standing in the outfield and like what percentage of catches are typically made. And the, the blue Jays aren't going to make every catch that like 80% of these balls drop, but Having Varsho, Kiermaier, and Springer in left, center, and right, they're catching a lot more of those like 70% of these balls aren't caught. And that's like huge because it used to be that like with Teo and and Lourdes in particular, it was like they're catching all of the like 20% to like 40% balls, but they're not catching a lot between like 50 to 100. Yeah. And the Blue Jays have kind of inverted that. So if the ball goes up in the air, they got a pretty good shot at it. Yeah,
0: nice. I agree. Um, I don't know if you've been looking the process. Have you lo- watched any of uh, Ricky T- Tiedemann?
1: So, I I watched him in spring training. I watched the highlights of his three inning, nine strikeout, dude. Yeah, I so I I also listen to Blue Jays podcasts. I listen to like I'm just a fan of the Blue Jays. I'm a consumer of the the product and all the talk around it. And Blair and Barker had. Tiedemann on, he seems cool, man. But also like whether it's Blake or whether it's you know Andrew Stoughton or whether it's you know Blair and Barker or Sho Ali and Ben Shulman, all the people who talk about the Blue Jays um, that I listen to in particular, a lot of them are like, maybe we see Tiedemann, maybe we don't. And I think just like it's kind of like I, when I started watching in 2021, I didn't know Manoa was coming up. Really, yeah. he just I I only ever heard about Pearson. And then manoa was there and he was like had you know, like a 3.3 era he was awesome and i was just happy as you know happy as hell just like hey this guy's good more more of that and i just want to have the same opinion like of tiedemann like if it works it works hell that's yeah that's my that's my thing
0: fair enough uh but what i've seen and i'm not a baseball expert uh it looks like he's going to be a plus starter i i'm wondering Heading into like September, there's still the same like volatility with um with Kikuchi uh, and Barrios, where he takes the five spot. Let's get three, four innings of him, and we'll use this as a a bullpen day in the playoffs. Because um, Zach Pop,
1: he's got the guts. He's got the stuff. Yeah. Here's my question. Yes. The special question I had for you, Kevin Gossman. Let's say 96 mile per hour fastball. Do you think you could hit it? You know a fastball is coming.
0: Yeah, uh, hit it for a base hit or hit it in play. This is this is, these are two different questions.
1: Hit it in play. Hmm. I don't think I could. Hmm. I played baseball. Did you uh, play baseball growing up? Not competitively.
0: No. Ah, mm. uh, I'm, I'm 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 going to say no. I feel like if I do try to, I'm going to fracture my wrist. I'm going <laughs> to say don't be humble.
1: Okay. R. A. Dickey, 84 mile per hour fastball. Double. Can you? No, double, double, <laughs> double. <laughs> okay, this this ruins this ruins the the secret question. I have my fastball measured, the speed of it. Do you think you could hit? I wind up. You've actually seen a a video of me pitching before. Seventy three miles per hour, gas coming in and at you, Trey, from me. <laughs> I'm I'm up on the I'm up on the mound. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. I'm trying to psych you out. I'm like Nestor Cortez, dropping the leg, all this kind of stuff. Do you think you can hit my fastball?
0: As as a uh pladium savant, I will say I'm knocking it out the park.
1: <laughs> Home run! Unbelievable. <laughs> How fast do you think you can throw? Hmm. See, I think I can.
0: I, I think I throw eighty miles an hour, but I don't think I can throw a location at all.
1: You think you can hit eighty? <laughs> I
0: I work on a bit, quite a bit. I feel like you Damn. I, okay. I don't, I mean, don't think I can hit this. Get the strike zone though. That's tough. Yeah.
1: Like, cause you you got to give it your all. You got to like really lean into it. Eighty. I would love to see you throw a. If Trey, I don't know if you understand. I would like hee haw laugh if I saw you step up to the mound and go like. And throw an 80-mile-per-hour fastball? I would – oh, my God. That's, I would – we, we have to – this summer we have to find like the – the. you know, you go pitch and it measures the velocity. Yeah. Maybe they'll have one. We're going to go to a few Blue Jays games. Maybe they will have one at the stadium one of those days. and We got to get in there. All right. And we got to measure it. We'll I need video. I need video proof of this. If this gas,
0: we will put it on the podcast. Yes, some gas
1: only if you throw eighty. If it's like sixty-four, it's not. It's, it's not making the cut.
0: <laughs>
1: eighty is a lot. Eighty is a lot. I'd ooh, I'd be impressed. <laughs> anyway,
0: yep.
1: anyway, um, listener, thanks for tuning in with us. Uh, we're hoping that with the baseball stuff, you just like us more than you like Raptors talk. And we hope that that was entertaining and enjoyable for you. I know there's some people who listen to you know our podcast just because they're like, it's Sam and Trey. I'll listen to Samson and Trey. And uh, this is for you mostly. You know, I, I find sometimes when I for people I like, yeah, you talk about anything. Agree you that. know, as long as you're not like an idiot, you know. <laughs> but anyway, um, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Yeah, we we enjoy this immensely. If you're listening on the podcast channel, just thanks for logging in, listening to us. If you're on YouTube, like the video, subscribe. And RaptorsRepublic.com will have draft stuff, end-of-season stuff, and, man, like Team Canada stuff coming uh, over the course of the summer. And and some interesting features as well, particularly from Lewis and I, I think we'll be able to write some cool stuff. Subscribe over there. Um, Trey, any... Final thoughts before we get out of here.
0: Um, overall, uh, I'll do some like end of season stuff. Like, first off, like for you, congratulations! Like getting through your first season on the beat. Hey, which is I'm great. Z- <laughs> Super proud, and obviously, like doing this podcast has 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 been great, and doing it with like with my friend has been awesome, and all the support with the fans have been great.
1: I hear Sportsnet is sniffing around. They're like Trey, you know, you might be the new lead anchor. That's <laughs> what I've been hearing. Uh, I'm going to leave that to you. You and Blake, (laughs) I think that you got it. All right. Um, yeah, everybody, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch up with you in a week, probably to talk prospects. We'll see what happens with, we'll see if Masai comes out of hiding and we'll see what (laughs) happens with that. Anyway. All right. See you guys.